0: Hello and welcome to the Modern Divorced Podcast. I'm your host, Billy Tarasio. I'm the owner of Modern Law, a family law firm in the Phoenix area. I've been a divorce attorney for more than 15 years. I've got four kiddos and I'm divorced myself. And on this podcast, we're going to cover everything related to divorce, be it legal issues, financial issues, children issues, blended family issues, counseling, mediation, and more. I hope you enjoyed the podcast. Hello, and welcome to the Modern Divorce Podcast. Today is going to be a really fantastic guest, very different, really, I'm just very interested to dive into this conversation. Um, and today we're going to be talking with Katie McCone-Jones. Katie, welcome to the show. Hi, thanks for having me. Katie, uh, you are the um, host of a podcast called Boy Problems. Correct. And one of the first things I asked you and cause I was reading your bio and you're a girl mom. Yep. Yeah, girl mom. So I was trying to figure out like, why, what does it mean? Boy problems. So can you, <laughs> can you explain that? Yeah. So our podcast is boy problems
1: podcast. Um, very simply, um, boy is the street name for heroin. So me along with my co hosts uh, all of our partners we met in a rehab, um, And all of our partners have uh, heroin opioid use disorder.
0: Got it. That is what we're talking about today is opioid addiction, heroin addiction. It's a heavy, heavy topic that I think we all avoid, but we should be talking about it a lot more. A lot more. I think, and you probably know better than I do, but I think more teens have died of opioids than coronavirus. And that's not even close. Is that right?
1: Yeah. I I don't know the facts on that, but I do know, unfortunately right now, um, fentanyl is just, there, there is no heroin there. It, like if you're buying an Oxycontin pill, you're not buying an Oxycontin pill. It's a fentanyl. Like you don't even know like what you're getting anymore. And so, um, for the teens who might be experimenting with pills or like, you can't even trust. I mean, unless you're stealing them from your parent who gets prescribed them. Like you can't even trust what you're getting on the street. It's just, it's really, really awful, unfortunately.
0: So you and your co-host and both of your spouses all met in In rehab.
1: Yeah. So our guys went to rehab for at the same time, coincidentally. And then there was a family support group just in the room next door. And I was, you know, there's so much shame and stigma that comes along with this disease. And so, you know, I could be private in a rehab where I was safe and I could tell my story. And so, like, they were there and I was like, hey, and I'm like outgoing. So I'm like, hey, you want to be my friend? Like, we're all going through this really awful thing. And so we started to meet for dinner. And here we are seven years later, kind of
0: doing this. Okay. So you are an addiction and recovery specialist.
1: I mean, probably lived for, from lived experience. (laughs) We've not done any formal training, but we've been through the trenches with it, unfortunately.
0: Well, that's what I want to talk about today for our listeners who have a child or a spouse who's an addict, or maybe you yourself are Mm -hmm. an addict Um, I wouldn't even know where to start. So where should someone start?
1: Oh, um, yeah. So I think there's tons of helplines. There's tons of, um, places and resources out there for those who are struggling with the disease of addiction. Um, for us, what we found as a family member is there are few resources for those who are walking this path with a loved one, which is why we started boy problems podcast. And so hopefully your loved one, there's tons of rehabs out there and, and helplines. Um, to go to Hazelden Betty Ford, of course, is a wonderful resource. And so family members can go there. So there are a few family member resources, but, um, probably getting into a facility. Um, you know, if you're an alcoholic or an alcoholic is kind of where you are, you cannot detox by yourself. Like you have to be under medical care, opioids, the other ones, like you won't necessarily die. Like you'll feel terrible, but alcohol, please do not detox by yourself. Like go to a medical facility to do that because it's deadly, unfortunately.
0: That's crazy. And I don't think that people really necessarily understand that or understand why. Can you explain why? Why is it so dangerous to detox from alcohol? Um. So
1: I don't know the science of that. I just know like for heroin and stuff, like because, and that's my more specialty of heroin is like, you just feel terrible. You get the chills, you have headaches, body aches, that type of stuff. Um, but I do know, unfortunately of a few people who tried to detox by themselves and unfortunately passed away just oh thinking that you can dry up or, or their family members think that you can just dry up like normal. You know, I get drunk, wake up in the morning. I'm fine. Like that is just not how the body works with
0: alcohol. Got it. Um, okay. Yeah. Um, all right. So You are a mom and you find out that your spouse is an addict and they go into rehab. Yeah. What is that like?
1: So it's a really awful
0: feeling. So I
1: am fortunate enough that I had just gotten pregnant when I found out my husband Was an addict. It was a secret addiction. I had no idea. I had been with him for nine years. Mm. Life had really kind of tanked, and I didn't know why. Mm -hmm. Um, And so it's a scary feeling. And I um, distinctly remember the moment of when I, you know, I found out I was pregnant. You know, found out about this addiction, and I was like, I made the decision that I'm okay to do this by myself. Like, if if our relationship does not work out, if he dies, like I feel like I can do this by myself. And so it's just a, you know, a heavy feeling. And, and even today, my husband thankfully is six years in recovery. Um, I still have that part of me that I'm protecting of, I may have to do this myself because as I stated before, fentanyl is just out there and like, he could just die immediately. And so now I have two children. And so that's just a really scary, it's just really scary. And how to talk to the kids, you know, I have an alarm system. It's like, if you can't wake up daddy, if, if anything bad happens, like I'm having conversations with my three, four-year-old to like hit the police button. If if that, if that's a situation.
0: Wow. Yeah. So even six years in recovery, you are aware that at any moment there could be a relapse and it could be deadly. Oh, for sure.
1: That, that will be my forever.
0: That will be your forever.
1: That will be my forever.
0: Wow. Um, looking back, what were some of the signs that you were unaware of that your husband was struggling with addiction?
1: Yeah. So (laughs) people ask me this all the time because it was right in front of my face. Um, money, thousands of dollars. We're like, we are budget people. And so we go line by line in our account and he would say, Oh, this goes for union dues. This is for this. This is for this. Um, he buys our groceries. Like he's the main um, person who cooks and gets groceries at our house. Good. And so, yeah. <laughs> so his, um, Our grocery bills, like just for the two of us, were just like really big. And I was like, you know, what's going on? Um, What I didn't know is, you know, he was buying uh, gift cards for drug dealers. He was taking his drug dealers to the grocery store to buy them groceries. Um, So our grocery bill was high. Like, I mean, it's just so you get, so they like beat you down, like the gaslighting, like, no, you're crazy. Like you spent that money at Kroger or you spent that money at McDonald's. And it's like, I don't remember that, but, but maybe he was sleeping all the time. What I didn't realize, like I would come home most days towards the end. And he was blue, like up to his wrists. And I was like, oh, he has sleep apnea. I put his um, CPAP machine on and I would just like sit and watch him breathe. And He'd come back to color and whatever. Like that was, that was our reality for a long time. And I I didn't know what that was. I thought just his sleep apnea was so severe that he, that that was happening. I didn't know that he was slowly overdosing every day when I was getting home. Um, I saw, like, I would see um, he didn't inject. Um, He mostly snorted. And so I would see like white mm, residue kind of coming out of his nose. And he was like, oh, I shot allergy you know, shots up my nose and it's that residue. Um, yeah. So money, him, just not. And like, we didn't talk at the end, probably for the last couple of years, like we hardly spoke, like he just wouldn't talk to me. We, I mean, it was terrible. Like it was really, really
0: awful at the end. It sounds terrible, but I'm telling you like the things that you're telling me are super helpful because I have teenage boys and, um, I want to know like what to look for because they don't always talk to me. They don't always want to hang out. <laughs> right. You know? Yeah. So yeah. Like, what What are we looking for? Like, because this is a very real thing. So follow the money. Right. That is a, a key. You know, you can always follow the money. Although like there are things people can do to get drugs that don't involve money. So right. it's not the only thing. Um, pawn, stuff, pawn slips. Like if they're stealing like yours, If like they're stealing from the house. Sure. If they're stealing. Pawn slips.
1: Hmm. Oh, I know, <laughs> I know I have two girls coming and I'm like, Oh man, like, I'm just
0: not looking forward to the teenage years. Wow. Okay. So what else have you learned? Was there something that made him susceptible to becoming an addict or how did that even happen?
1: Yeah. So it's, it's definitely a, a family disease. And so on both sides of his family addiction is in there. And so, um, he has a sister, she just like, doesn't like, like you just kind of either have the genes or you don't. And so he has them. And, um, unfortunately like, you know, his dad died when he was young. And so he started with pot, which then led to shrooms, which then led to, you know, he just kept going, I think to mask his feelings. Um, and so that's kind of how, how he started. So basically from 16 to 30, he was using but I didn't know like even dating. Yeah. Even dating. I didn't, he would slip pills in, like he went into pills. Um, he would slip pills in and I wouldn't know, like when we were partying, like it was like, Oh, we're just drinking, but he would always go to the next level. I didn't get it, but he would always go to the next level.
0: That's helpful. That's, that's something that we can look for is somebody who needs kind of more and more to meet their needs when they're, partying and then yeah. does he take any medication now that makes that helps? Yeah. So not now, but definitely,
1: um, we are big, uh, champions of like medically assisted, uh, medical assisted treatment. So like MAT drugs, so like suboxone, Vivitrol, um, what we, what I just recently learned is methadone. Unfortunately, yeah. if someone is dealing with the fentanyl, you can't get on suboxone or Vivitrol or an abuse. Like you have to do methadone. Can you talk to me about the difference between those drugs? Yeah, uh, kind of. Um, so I know a Suboxone and Vivitrol. Like you have receptors in your brain, and so what that does is it blocks the receptor. So if you do do drugs, it will just skip your receptor, so you won't get high. So you can do drugs, but it will um, skip that over. Ah. Um, basically, I think that methadone does about the same thing. It, they just have different like chemical
0: properties. Okay, so it's going to block your opioid receptors. So you will not feel high. It can still kill you.
1: Yeah. If if you take enough. Yeah. Mm -hmm.
0: Yeah. So hopefully people don't take it because they're not feeling the effects of dopamine or whatever. I don't know exactly what happens chemically when we take heroin or opioids. Yeah. I mean,
1: you can still get high on that. Like, you can still get drunk. You can still do coke, oh. Uh, oh. meth. Like, so it's only not opioids.
0: Yeah. Right. Okay. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Okay. Uh, So he took an, an opioid blocker for yep. some period of time and then Correct. stopped.
1: Correct. Okay. Long process. And so it was a couple of years of we went to Suboxone. He was on it for a couple of years, tapered down. There's a really small window. There's 10 days where you have to detox from Suboxone because that still has opiates in it. And you have to be clean, completely clean for 10 days. There are so many relapses and so many deaths in that 10 days before Vivitrol, unfortunately. Um, and then you get Vivitrol and then that's, you only get a shot once a month. Suboxone Ooh. was once a day. Uh-huh. Uh, Vivitrol was like goes for 30 days.
0: Okay. And then w- what happens when you are done with all those? Uh, hopefully you have had
1: time enough away from the drug that you can, um, work on yourself or, you know, maybe you go to meetings, maybe, um, whatever your recovery looks like, because there's no one right answer. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. so you have your recovery community, like you mm-hmm. have those things built up. So when you have those cravings or you want to go back out, you can call somebody, mm-hmm. Like you can stop it. Like, it's not an automatic, like my husband said, he'd wake up at 5. a.m. The first thought he th- would think of is how am I get my drugs today? right before he went to bed, that was his last thought. Like, how am I going to get my drugs? Wow. So that's just, just to stop the brain from thinking that.
0: So he used some sort of drugs from 16 to 30. Yeah. What type of behavior or like, how does, how do you replace that habit? So it's just, I mean, I, I don't
1: know how he does not I mean, it is an everyday decision for him to not do drugs.
0: Ah, I mean, this is really frightening because what I've read about willpower is that you only have so much of it and it will fail you every time.
1: Oh, that's so interesting. I mean, no, I mean, it's a, I mean, the, the thoughts of drugs get less and less. I mean, but in the beginning, I mean, it is like So it takes less willpower
0: now, but it's still every single day takes willpower not to take drugs. Yeah. You just got to stay away. Okay. So how you've already told me that you live every day, wondering if this will be the last day with your husband, how do you mentally stay sane? I think for me, it was a lot
1: scarier in the beginning, uh, but now like going off of the six years of recovery, like it feels good. Um, unfortunately one of my co-hosts, like her husband, you know, he's been on this path for, um, for the six, seven years, like my husband, um, he just had kind of an, uh, up and down road to recovery. So, I mean, he just relapsed, um, had a slip up, you know, maybe six, eight months ago. Mm-hmm. So, um, You know, I just, I can't bog myself down with that because if I did, like, I just remember like the codependency, like just trying to control everything he did. And, and if I didn't say something, or if I said something that made him mad, he was going to go out and use, or that's not the case. Like he, he's going to use, if he's going to use, I can't do prevent him or make him use drugs in any way. And so for me, it's kind of maybe like an out of sight, out of mind, because it would be very overwhelming.
0: Okay. So you are still married. You have managed yep. to have, you know, an intact relationship. How have you done that? How do you, how do you, how have you been able to trust and talk yeah. to me about that? Yeah. So I will, uh, the group, the support
1: group for me was amazing. And so I had to do my own personal work. He had to do his own personal work. And then obviously we had to do work together. Um, somebody one time said like, truth plus time equals trust. And so it, 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 I mean, we are still what he took so much money from from our bank accounts. Like I shut him down from our bank accounts and probably five years or probably like last year, I finally let him back on the accounts. I mean, so that's taken quite some time. Um, so it just, it's just like little things like, Don't like, I know, I know he used to lie to me like, oh, I went to Wendy's, but he actually went to McDonald's and it's like, why did you lie? Like, that just doesn't even make sense. And so just, I made him give me receipts, like physical receipts of where he was um, to prove The truth. I know a lot of my friends, they put GPS trackers on their phones, like and you're just allowed to track your partner. Like that's just a way, like, oh, I can see you're at the meeting. I can see you went to ex-friend's house. I can see you're at work. Like that's how some people build back trust. Um, for us, it was just really slow. And just the personal work. I think growth for myself um, and him is probably the biggest thing that has helped us like maintain our we've been together for 19 years now. Like I met him when I was 19. Like, (laughs) that's crazy.
0: It is crazy. It sounds um, like a burden that most of us don't even understand because the relationship that you would need to have at that point would not be a partnership. It would be more parental. It would be more, here's what you're allowed to do. Like you're allowed to do X, Y, or Z, and you need to report to me. And that's not a marriage. That's not a partnership. So how do you deal with that?
1: Yeah. That was Rocky in the beginning. Um, you know, we have this like marriage, we started out with like a marriage contract, um, of like boundaries and it was really boundaries for me. I think boundaries was probably the biggest thing and, and realizing I can't control him. Like (laughs) I cannot control anything that he does. Um, but it was like, Hey, did you do this? Hey, did you do this? And, you know, he went to jail and got in so many car accidents. And like at a certain point, it's just like, you have to raise your hands. And I think thankfully for me getting pregnant like right in line with when I found out he was using drugs. Like I realized like he's not my problem. Like mm-hmm. I have to worry about this little baby. Mm-hmm. Like my, my girls are my everything. Like mm-hmm. I love him. I want him to be my partner. I want him to be healthy and I will maintain, I will still be with him, but like, I have to protect these two little ones. Cause they mm-hmm. don't have a choice. I'm mm-hmm. choice.
0: Mm-hmm. So you really did become sort of a single mom who stayed married yeah, I mean for yeah, for for a little while,
1: yeah. Mm-hmm. Now he's fantastic. I mean, a one dad, but but in the beginning, I mean, you know, I, there's just so many stories that we know and that we hear that are just so sad of, of like single parents and, you know, of people dying and leaving their little ones. I mean, it's just it's really sad, unfortunately. It is.
0: So, what are some of the hottest topics that people in your situation want to discuss on your podcast?
1: Yeah. Uh, early recovery. That's Mm when you get a lot of questions about like, how do you navigate Mm -hmm. building the trust and Mm -hmm. and all of that? Um, understanding that it's a disease. I think that's always difficult for people of understanding that, um, that it's kind of like, I always equate it to like diabetes, right? So, um, you you see a diabetic person eating cake like you don't like look at them like they're terrible people. however, people who see my husband relapse like oh, you know he's a terrible person like people telling you to like people told me all the time like I should leave him, why would you stay? He's never going to get into recovery. Um, there's just so much shame and stigma. So many people live in the shadows, and so my hope is that by spreading the world, because for for basically the first um, year and a half of our podcast, we went under aliases. Oh so my! Just recently came out with our names and mm-hmm. our faces, mm-hmm. um, and so hopefully by doing that, people mm-hmm. can see that we are everyday people. Like my, Mm -hmm. I thought heroin users were just homeless people under the bridge
0: with needles in their arm. And that is absolutely not the case. Yeah, absolutely. Especially today. Okay. So I've also read about a new mental health treatment, um, ketamine, um, other types of microdosing, like you probably know all about that stuff, right?
1: So I know a little bit. We have some really great podcasts with a wonderful doctor um, here from Indiana. She's at a treatment center. And so um, we just did a fantastic podcast about methadone because we knew nothing about methadone. Um, and she was talking about how like how she's trying to tell other physicians to microdose with fentanyl, like even if they come in, microdose of fentanyl so that you can get onto the methadone. Um, it was just, it was absolutely fascinating. Absolutely fascinating because
0: when you say it's a disease, it's a disease of the brain and it's a disease of brain chemicals and, you know, adequate amounts of dopamine and responding, your body responding, your brain responding. And we don't know a lot about the brain, right? But, you know, diabetics get to take insulin, (laughs) you know, they have something, if they eat cake, if they choose to eat cake, they can take insulin and not die. Right. Right but the addiction in our brain is harder and there is more and more information about mental health treatment. Mm -hmm. There's even like, I was reading about some electro we've used electro therapy for a long time and it's, it's thought of as like horrific, but I don't think it's always horrific. And I think that there are actually like, um, good outcomes,
1: yeah. I've, I've heard of that. Like we, we heard a radio story about that. And I met a woman whose husband was kind of doing it to himself. I don't know. It's a weird Ooh. thing, but, <laughs> but yeah. Um, but he was saying he was cured. He was an alcoholic and did, I don't, I don't know what he did, but, yeah. but we have heard about that and it's yeah. very interesting. I'd yeah. love
0: to see the studies on those. Yeah. It seems to me like there's not enough focus on fixing the underlying disease. Yeah. If the, if the outcome is, you know, just don't do it. That's a, a really, I don't want to rely on that. No, (laughs) it's just not even
1: fair. Yeah. Just say no is terrible. Like that's not real. (laughs) So bad. So bad. (laughs) And the war on drugs, like that just makes people who do drugs, like
0: be bad people. They're not bad people. Totally. Absolutely. Absolutely. Man. And then the other thing I think is, um, figuring out early intervention is probably important. I don't hear people talk about that. Is that something that's talked about in the addiction world?
1: Yeah. So what, what's recently kind of come up is like harm reduction, which was, which is new for me. Uh, so when, uh, my husband was going through it like six years ago, it was like, don't, you know, just don't do drugs. However, people now are like, okay, well, instead of doing, I'm going to make these numbers up, you know, a gram of heroin, just do like five eighths of heroin and just kind of trying to slowly trickle down or, Hey, instead of doing heroin, can you just try drinking? Like, (laughs) you know, and, and it's so interesting because then you, I don't know all of it, but it's, it's so interesting. Like the harm reduction, it's like the craft method, um, which is so different than go to meetings, 90 meetings in 90 days and do the 12 steps. And there's just so many different shades of recovery now.
0: Yeah. So there's not one way to recover. No. Um, Prevention has to be more than just say no. Yes. (laughs) Probably it needs to be a whole lot more education so that absolutely when people are trying things or they choose to try things, they truly understand the risk and, you know, If it if it affects you in a certain way, this is what this means for your future. (laughs) Right. Yeah. You love more failing. This is going to be harder on you than somebody who doesn't love this.
1: Yeah. 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 Absolutely. And usually, like you were talking about the mental, there's usually co-occurring mental, like you're usually just not just an addict. Like maybe you have bipolar disorder, maybe you have anxiety. Right. There's there's typically something else. It's never really just you are an addict.
0: Yeah. So my I've got um, kiddos with ADHD and my oldest, we got his brain scanned at the Amon Clinic when he was 11. And it's not a simple case of ADHD. And his brain showed like a lot, a lot going on, something called sure. like ring of fire ADHD. Like his brain was not in great shape. And one of the things that the doctor told us is like, this brain is going to be highly susceptible to addiction. Oh, he was 11. He was 11. I mean, he's 17 now and he's doing really well. And I think his brain's probably looking a lot healthier. I want to scan it again, but, it's- yeah. <laughs> um, but you know, so we started talking to him about that, like, okay, you know, your brain, you know, might really, really be prone to addiction. And what does that mean? And how much more important is it for you to guard this how much right. more dangerous is it? So was that the right thing to do? I don't know. <laughs> what can we do? Right. What are you going to do? What are you going right. to do with your girls?
1: Yeah. I think being open and upfront, letting them know, because I also have it on my side. Mm. <laughs> so they just have like a double whammy. Um, so I have addiction on my side as well. And so I think being as open because my husband's mom always, they had alcoholics. Don't drink alcohol, blah, blah, blah. So he never thought he would ever have a problem with drugs. Sure. Right. So now for me, we are going to be able to, um, talk to our girls about it. We don't have to get into all the details. Like there are things called open meetings. My husband, that's a part of his recovery is to go to meetings every week. And so showing them that, um, you know, take them to a couple open meetings so that they can see where it is. And hopefully, you know, we can't control what they do, but hopefully them knowing that their dad is in recovery and that their mom would support them no matter what, that I hope that they would feel comfortable enough to come to me and say, I can't stop drinking. Mm -hmm. I love it so much. And then, and then we can walk that path with them and it will probably be a rocky path, but I would hope that they would know that our doors are open because um, we understand it's a disease Mm -hmm. and they don't have to hide. That's what I don't want them to do is to hide,
0: to hide it. Absolutely. Definitely. Do you think that had you known earlier, there would have been a different outcome or do you think you just got there when you got there? So like with my husband, Mm -hmm.
1: I don't think I, it was, I mean, the last, the last time that he got, um, high, like right before he went to jail, he got in a wreck with a semi, he got home. He was such a, a jerk and I was packing my bags to leave. And he went into recovery right then. If a few years before that, he would have told me about it. I don't think he would have gotten into recovery. He wasn't, he wasn't ready. Um, I don't really like the phrase rock bottom, but I think he, he had hit a pretty low low for him that he was ready to make a change. He, he never saw his future without drugs. And so that was kind of a hard um, future to see. Even when he got into recovery, he was like, I will
0: stop doing heroin, but I won't stop drinking. Yeah. And so for him, it's better to not use any substances, not use marijuana, not use drinking, not use heroin, nothing.
1: Nope. He will go from zero to 100. He cannot have one drink. He cannot smoke pot. I would not feel comfortable. He couldn't just have casually do that. He would go hard. I mean, he did a couch to 5K. Like he was like, oh, let me just see if I can start running. He's a marathon runner now. Like he's doing marathons all the time.
0: <laughs> so so that's he runs was, that's 20 what miles. What, that's what I was. <laughs> Wondering, like because exercise is one way to get your body those chemicals. Like, correct? Do you need to do something to give your body what it needs to function? Like the drugs are providing something to your body that it desperately wants. Are there other ways to do it? Exercise can be one of those ways. So is he now addicted right. to exercise? <laughs>
1: yeah, he loves running. I mean, loves running. That's
0: amazing. Yeah, it is. I mean, he just runs forever. He runs forever. Yeah. Wow. Anything else? Looking into ultra marathons, which is crazy. Are there are there other um, things that he does to give his body that kind of stimulation? No,
1: running is running is kind of the thing. Um, You know, I think we've noticed recently that he probably has a lot of anxiety. Mm -hmm. And so like keeping the house like neat and tidy, Mm -hmm. is kind of a thing. Mm -hmm. And Mm so, you know, doing that, but I mean, our secret sauce, he was going to six meetings a week Mm -hmm. when he first started, like he has to even seven years into this has to go to three meetings a week. Mm -hmm. If he does not go to three meetings a week, it just makes life difficult. Mm -hmm. So that that's our secret sauce for us.
0: Mm -hmm. meetings and running. (laughs) I I also do wonder, like, so if it seems like um, addiction is sort of related to obsessive compulsive disorder, seems related to me. So it seems like maybe obsessive compulsive treatment could help. Or I think, I think also, well, Butrin has been used to help with addiction and helping people quit smoking, Centrix or something like that. Um, do you yeah, know I've not that? heard that. No, I've not
1: heard. I've not heard any of that before. Okay. God. <laughs> it just, it just there's still like, so much to be studied and done. And,
0: right. It seems yeah. like we should be farther along on the journey to helping addicts well, and maybe it hasn't been a priority and maybe it really needs to be.
1: I think people think it's a moral failing. Yes. It is not a moral failing. <laughs> like, and, and that's, I, th- I think the shame and the stigma for, for, um, e- even w- when we first started the podcast and I was like, oh, you know, heroin is boy problems. Like, you're like, oh man, like I, I was on an, another podcast and she, she didn't, she was like the H word. And I was like, you can say it <laughs> like, it's okay.
0: Voldemort. Yeah. you Anything from Harry Potter. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah. So, um, I think just like normalize, like talk about it, talking about it openly, like, yeah, I mean, it it has helped me immensely. I I know that for sure. And um, just sharing my stories opens people up to tell me their awful stories because this is awful. I mean, what what I went through is awful. My friends, it's awful. And everybody knows an addict everybody knows an addict.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, I appreciate you so much for spreading awareness, for answering my questions to the best of your ability and for just being very, very real. If you all have enjoyed this podcast, download it, share it with your friends, like it, leave a comment and talk about it more just talk about it more. And Kate, thank you so much for coming on the show today. I really appreciate it. Yeah. Thank you for having me. Thanks. Thanks so much for listening to the Modern Divorce Podcast. Remember, anything you've heard today or anything you read online is not the replacement for actual consultation with an attorney and does not create an attorney-client relationship. Even if you called in and we spoke to you, you are anonymous and we don't have your details and you have not become a client of Modern Law. However, we would love to speak with you, or you should seek out the advice of legal counsel or counseling or any other expert near you. And if you have an idea for a show topic or you need to speak with an attorney in Arizona, you can reach me at info, I-N-F-O, at mymodernlaw.com.